Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Besides that, it's a huge, huge privilege to host you here this morning and just we want to say, echoing Mark's words, whether you were, you're here out of habits, out of tradition, out of this is your once a year thing, whether this is your church or whether you've just come just to make sure your mom is not angry with you and she'll give you lunch just now. We're happy either way. Welcome to church. It's really, really good to be together. And uh, as a way of introducing myself, I'd love to tell you that I love Easter. Obviously, for the, all the, the, the reasons that we've been singing about, the, the cross and Jesus and remembering his life and his death and his resurrection, I also will always love Easter because five years ago, around about this time, I met my wife. She wasn't my wife at that time. Uh, She was just a a girl, and I met her about a week before Good Friday, and uh, my heart changed towards her from the moment I saw her. And I remember Good Friday service, sitting at the front here, and I remember turning around at one stage, and I saw my wife coming late, as usual, uh, walking down to the the side here. She was sitting around there, right by you, Ron and Kara, just, just there, with her sister, and uh, I remember I had to focus my thoughts on Jesus. I said, get behind me, Satan. I need to focus on you. But she was looking really good. It was tough. It was tough. But uh, the struggle was real. But I, I remember, so from that moment and the conversation over coffee and tea afterwards, I just want to say good things happen at Good Friday services. Just saying, God arrested my heart. And uh, I started to pursue this amazing girl called Fiona. And over the course of the next three weeks, I worked all the magic I knew, and uh, we, we went on dates, I, 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 we chatted late into the night, we just, we clicked instantly, and after three weeks, I actually asked her out, and uh, she was everything inside of her logical brain, said, this doesn't make sense, we've not known each other long enough, this is foolishness, and I, I, I had to use all my lawyer skills, and let me tell you, I didn't do law at university, but I have watched a lot of Suits episodes, so I was able to uh, win her over and tell her, no, it's a good thing, and but then came a moment about one week into dating where I'm so convinced this is the girl I'm going to marry. She, was, she warmed up slowly. But it was a moment after a great evening out together. We had, it just had gone so well. And we were driving home on the beachfront. She, she had a flat on the beachfront. I was going to drop her off. And we were listening on the radio. I can't remember exactly, but it was probably a song like, Why do birds suddenly appear every time you draw near? Something like that, you know? And I, I was just, was, this is the moment. And I parked the car put in gear, sat back, took her hold of her hands, looked deep into her eyes. And I thought this was a good moment to do this. You know? I plucked up the courage, took a breath, looked into her, her fluttering eyes and said, Fiona, I said, I love you. Four weeks into dating. Four weeks into knowing her, sorry. One week into dating. And then I was met with 30 seconds of very uncomfortable silence. That silence said a whole lot more than the words that were going to come up out of her mouth. And I was panicking inside, but still smiling. And after 30 seconds, she graciously said, thank you, Gabe. And uh, I say that story because it's a, it will be etched in my memory forever. And I'll hold that over her till the dying day. <laughs> but I want to say that silence there said so much more than any words could do. That little gap of 30 seconds said so much more than maybe I am overstepping the mark here and, and everything got a little bit nerve-wracking for me. The confidence I had of 30 seconds earlier was gone in a moment, just with a whole bunch of silence. And, and actually, you see, when we look at Scripture on this Good Friday, we find that the disciples had a similar sort of encounter, a similar sort of moment. 
they had not just four weeks, but they had three years with Jesus of excitement, of, of passion, of, of abandonment to all else. They were, they had seen Jesus heal the sick. They had seen him ruin every funeral he attended by raising the dead. They had seen Jesus walk on water. They had done the water into wine thing. They were just in awe of Jesus and they were so confident that this was the man that was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. They're like, we're on the right side of history with this guy. And they were marching all the way to the capital saying, we are going to take the kingdom by force. Yes, this Jesus, we're with you right till the end. But in the, in the, in the case of one evening, everything came crashing down around him. In the case of one moment, it just felt like everything was lost. You see, we pick up the story with a man named Pilate. And actually just before him were a whole bunch of religious leaders. See, Jesus, he, was, he had been in, had a dinner with his disciples and all was good. And then they find their way all the way into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying there. And at, at, in the middle of the night, Judas, the betrayer, comes with a whole bunch of armed guards. And he takes Jesus captive. Jesus goes with him all the way to, the, the, it tells us, the home of the religious leaders. And he goes inside there with these high priests and teachers of the religious law all there. And they are, they are fuming and they are furious at Jesus. And they are accusing him of all sorts of trumped up charges. They, they actually parade before him, false witness after false witness, the scripture tells us. Telling them about what Jesus had or hadn't done, what he had said or what he hadn't said. And they, they pulled all these accusations in front of Jesus. And this amazing thing as they go on, the, the, the religious leaders say to him, aren't you going to answer any of these charges? They say to him, what do you say for yourself? And I can imagine the disciples who've seen three years of, of, of God, of Jesus, and God in, in human form, just showing off his power in dramatic fashion. I bet they were, in that moment, they were going, they were saying, Jesus, do that John 8 thing. They're accusing you, do what you did in John 8. Read their minds and start telling them what their sin is. You, you, you're, you're flawless, Jesus. Do that thing again. Start writing their sin in the dust because they're accusing you. And everything inside of the disciples were like, come on, Jesus, this is your time to really stick it back to those accusations. All these false liars. Tell them. But Scripture says it this way. It says, but like a lamb being led to the slaughter, Jesus remained silent and made no reply. Phenomenal. This infuriated these, these, this, the, these religious leaders say they hauled them off to another higher power in the land. The, the highest Roman official in the land, his name was Pontius Pilate, Caesar's representative there in, 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 in this area. And they awake Pilate from his sleep. The Bible says it's around three in the morning. They, they awake Pilate up and they're fuming. And they say, Pilate, you need to deal with this man. This, is, this man's claiming some things that you need to bring to order to. And Pilate, he gets Jesus and he pulls him inside. The, the scripture tells us the religious leaders dared not go inside because they didn't want to ruin the, the ability to celebrate the Passover because Jewish people weren't allowed into Gentile homes or they'll be defiled. So they pushed Jesus alone to go face his examiner, his questioner, Pilate. And as he goes, there's this incredible discourse where Pilate, this, this learned man of the day, starts to question Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Pilate asks him the question, are you the king of the Jews? Do you hear all these charges they're bringing about you? Are you who they say you are? Are you a madman? What is truth? The gospel of Luke, though, says to all these questions, much to the governor's surprise, Jesus made no response to any of the charges. I can imagine the disciples listening into the window saying, Jesus, you are, you are God in human flesh. Why don't you, this questioner, this man who's bringing these questions to God arrogantly, why don't you do that thing you said to Job? 
Ask Job the question. Turn, turn on Pilate and say, where were you when, you created the, when I created the world? That's what, what I would be saying. Jesus, come on, all these trumped up questions and, and pointing out, who are you? Jesus could have turned and said, who are you, small man, when I formed you in your mother's womb? The disciples saying, quit, turn the questions on him. But scripture tells us that like a lamb being led to the slaughter, Jesus remained silent. So Pilate said, actually, I, I can't do anything. So you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to bring you back out in front of the public. Now a crowd had gathered. And a whole crowd outside were, were gathered. And I thought it was a, it was a Friday. And the prepare, preparations for the Sabbath and the Passover were well into, uh, underway. And the crowd were there. And Pilate said, you know, at this time every year for, your, for you guys, what I do is I, I release one prisoner. And Pilate squirming, trying to get away from, he, he thought this man's innocent. I, I, I can't put him to death, but, but let, me, let me bay to public opinion. So he said, you know what? I've got two prisoners. You guys get to choose one. And he put before them Jesus of Nazareth and Barabbas, a murderer, a well-known insur- insurrectionist. Oh, the stages aren't how they made them back in the day. A murderer before them, Jesus and a murderer. And Pilate says to him, which one do you want? Which one should I release to you? And in just over the course of one week's time, Jesus went from being hailed as the Messiah to being crucified as a criminal. The crowds a week earlier chanted, save us now, save us now, demanding a savior from the Roman government. But because Jesus wasn't the savior they desired, five days later they chanted, crucify him, crucify him. See, in that that moment, a guilty man went free and an innocent man was condemned to death by his own people. See, if I was the disciples, I would say, Jesus, right now, point out all their hypocrisy. Tell them, say, just five days earlier, you were worshiping me. Now you're telling me to crucify me. Point out their hypocrisy. Go around the room and point out this and remind, remind the crowd of how you fed them, Jesus. Just a few months earlier, you fed 5,000 of these same people. Just remind them how you were there and you cared and healed for the, healed their sick and looked after them and, and remind them of the, that stuff you did, Jesus. But as the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Scripture tells us, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, Jesus remained silent. So they handed him over to the soldiers and the Roman soldiers had him stripped they had him lashed with a cat of nine tails, ripping, tearing the skin. Then they put a scarlet robe on him, pressed a crown of thorns into his head. They beat him on the head with a stick that they gave him mockingly to hold. They spat in his face and they bowed mockingly before him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they led him out to the place of the skull, the rubbish dump of the day nailed his hands and feet to a cross and hung him up to die. See, in those days as well, we've got romantic pictures of, of, of the crucifixion. I want to tell you, the crucifixion wasn't some romantic moment. This was on the rubbish heap of the day. Smell, incredible, disgusting smells would have filled their nostrils as they watched this, the rotting flesh happen day after day as they, they hung up criminals to die. And also the, cross of, the crosses of those days weren't high and, uh, or lofty or way up there with stained glass window behind it, the, the crosses of that day were people crucified at eye, length, eye level so that ordinary passers-by could come and spit in the face of the criminals. 
This was not some romantic notion. This was not some Jesus meek and mild. This was Jesus ripped apart. Ripped apart. Nailed into his hands. Nailed into his feet. And they lifted that cross, that torture emblem of the day, and hung him up to die. They mocked and taunted Jesus. From their vantage point, they looked at him and the soldier said, You said you can save others? Well, why don't you save yourself? Save yourself. And then they said, oh, you call yourself the king of the Jews. You call yourself son of God. Why don't you call down the angels to come and rescue you now? They mocked and taunted him. And and everything inside of me and the disciples, he could have said with one word, one word, called on the angels in that moment and silenced every single one of them. With one word, called the angels, said, I'm done. He could have in one moment said, actually, I could use one word, but actually I am the word. I was there in creation. I spoke, let there be light. In one moment, you could all fall down dead in an instant. But Scripture tells us that like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he remained silent. Then there came a moment as he hung on the cross where Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The men around them said, he's calling Elijah. What's he doing there? The crowd jeered and mocked him as he cried out that. Then he said another three other words. He said, tetelestai, meaning it is finished. And the crowd roared again as they saw another death of another so-called criminal. The crowd roared their approval. But the father remained silent. And then the scriptures tell us with one final breath, he gave up his spirit and said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. From the beginning of eternity to the very end, all the way through scripture, we are told that heaven was only silenced once. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man died, we are told in Revelation 8 that all of heaven went silent for half an hour. Man had had his say. Pilate had questioned. Religious, religious leaders had accused. The crowd had yelled. The soldiers had mocked. But this is what Scripture says. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. 
but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Sir, ma'am, there comes a moment, a time, when all else is silenced, and the voices of opinion, the voices of excuses, the voices of questions end, and you and I have to decide what fills that gap. A week ago, at Newlands Cricket Ground, an Australian team did a stupid thing where they went out and they, they blatantly cheated. They took uh, an object off the field and went on to intentionally change the course of the game. And they were caught on cameras. This action was caught on cameras. They thought they could be sneaking and, sne- and, 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 and hidden, but it was, they were caught out on the cameras. And at that moment, they didn't realize the severity of what they had done. But as they came off the field and, and the inquest started, as the, 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 the truth started to come out and the nation back in Australia started to wake up to the, the horrific news that the Australian captain, the Australian team, had blatantly been cheating. The truth started to dawn on them. The next day as they came out to bat, the whole of Newlands Cricket Stadium, as they each individual walked out, booed and jeered, cheat, cheat, cheat. As Steve Smith, the captain, and the two others who've been sent home got to the airport in Joburg on Tuesday. On Tuesday, the crowd around them, all those, all even bystanders, even people just working there, started to boo them and say, cheat, cheat. As they landed home in Australia to their own, own fans, own family, the crowds booed and said, cheat, cheat. Ban them, ban them. And I want to tell you this this morning, no matter what they do, no matter how many hours of community service they put in, no matter how many runs they hit in another game when they come back in years to come, they will forever be remembered as Australians who cheated. The cry, cheat, will follow them forever, whether it's the voice of man or whether it's internal voice inside saying cheat. They will never be able to get rid of that tag. This morning, I want to present to you and I That there is only one thing that silences the voice of the questions of the past, the accusations of the enemy, and the betrayals of the crowd. There's only one thing. And when Jesus died and all of heaven went silent, I would offer to you that there was one sound that that only mattered. The sound of drip. 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 The blood of Jesus started to fall to the ground. It started to fall to the ground as it poured out from the Savior of the world. Scripture tells us in Hebrews that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. When the accusations of man are wearing out, when the questions of man, when the questions of your past, the guilt and sin and stain of your shame starts to ring out, there's only one thing that can speak a louder word. There's only one thing that can fill that void. It's the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word. Sir, ma'am, this cannot be earned. 
There's no religious or moral pursuit. They'll do anything. You cannot do enough good things or pay enough penance to get this done because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath and of sin to the dregs. He took the fullness of God's wrath and the fullness of the sin of man and he drank it to the very end and he hung on the cross and died. And scripture tells us that on the cross, Jesus became Judas, the betrayer. That on the cross, Jesus became Peter, the denier. He became the crowd. He became Barabbas. He became the soldiers. He became the alcoholic. He became the liar. He became the cheat. He became the adulterer. He became the prostitute. He became the dropout. He became the sinner. He became my sin. So that 2,000 or so years later, we could become the righteousness of God. Not based on anything that is to our credit, not based on any work or achievement, but based on the sound of drip, 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 the blood of Jesus. Jesus died and absorbed the fullness of God's wrath. My final thesis this morning is the enemy will always point to your inadequacies. The cross of Christ always points to his sufficiency. Let me say it one more time. The enemy will always, the accusation, the denial, the questioning, the, the yell of the crowd, the guilt and stain of your past will always point to your insufficiency. But the cross of Christ always points to his sufficiency. My blood's enough for the deepest stain, for the most broken heart, for the most wayward sinner. My blood is enough. Can we close our eyes at this moment, please? With every eye closed, I I really believe this morning that some of you have been fighting battles of depression, been fighting battles of sickness, of anger, of resentment, of unforgiveness, of fear, of anxiety, of lust, and the questioning, the accusing, the mockery of the guilt and shame runs deep. Today I'm not here to minimize your brokenness, but I am here to maximize the only one who can heal your brokenness. I say today in the silence, today in this moment, where our hearts are stilled, the silence of the finished work of Jesus. I believe if you respond in faith, you're going to be set free by his blood. No more excuses. No more arguments. No more promises to try harder. Just a turning and say, I'm trusting you. Can you fix your eyes on Jesus right now in this moment? His blood come. His forgiveness come. Where you are not enough, where you fall short, where you're insufficient, when you're inadequate, say, Jesus, your blood speaks a better word. Your blood speaks a better word over my past, speaks a better word over my present, speaks a better word over my future. Before we take communion together, and allow this gospel, allow this good news on Good Friday that the Son of Man, the Son of God became a Son of Man so that sons of men could become the sons of God. 
I want to ask you the question today. Is if, sir, ma'am, if you were to die today and you were face to face with Jesus, the entrance to heaven, and he came and said, why should I let you in? And then there was a silence, a pause, as he waited for you to fill in the blank. A lot more awkward than somebody saying, thank you to I love you. A lot more awkward than than exposing than any other silence there would ever be. When Jesus said, why should I let you in into my heaven? I'd, I'd ask you, the way you fill that silence will determine whether you are met with silence or met with exceedingly abundant joy. If your answer to why should I let you into my heaven is anything else than the blood of Jesus alone, unfortunately, sir, ma'am, you and I will be turned away. You can say, I've gone to church all my life. You'll say, not good enough. You can say, I've tried really hard. I gave a lot to the poor. I I, I really was a good family man. You'll say, unfortunately, not good enough. There's only one thing that can cleanse you of the guilt and shame and sin that can set you free and allow you to go into heaven. It's the blood of Jesus. And I want to say today, with utmost confidence, the cross says, come. The cross says, I want my kids back. Maybe you're sitting here and you've come with family and friends. You say, everything in me says, don't be too radical. I'll deal with this later. I want to say with absolute sobriety, you might not get a second chance. Jesus died so that we could have hope. I want to encourage us. Could we make the big decision today? So I'm going to count to three and if if you today have not put your trust solely in Jesus' blood, the accusations of the world, the the guilt and shame of your past, the the brokenness inside, when you lie in, in bed at night and there's just silence, just you and your beating heart, can you truly say, Jesus, I've gone all in on your blood. I've allowed you to stand in my defense. Today, if you've not done that before, if you've walked away, but today's a day of saying, I'm coming back to you, Jesus. I want your blood to speak a better word for me. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in three seconds. One, the cross says, come. Two, turn from your sin and turn fully to Christ. He is more than enough. Three, could you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Thank you. Cool. Thank you. anyone else I don't want to miss this moment let's pray together Father I thank you for these three people as they've raised their hands possibly with trepidation but Father God I thank you as their hearts start to beat with yours you're making dead people come alive the son of God became the son of man so that sons of men could become the sons of God I thank you Father God that today in the silence they choose not excuses not the opinion of man not the, the rejection of the past not the wickedness of their sin but they say in this silence I choose your blood to speak a better word for me Jesus I turn from my sin I turn from my excuses I turn from my old way and I say Jesus you are more than enough 
I thank you in this moment, God, your blood is speaking a better word into every heart as you're making sons out of rebels, daughters out of runaways, heirs to the kingdom out of sinners. I thank you, Jesus, over every heart. Your blood speaks a better word.